Would you bow with me and let us pray as we come to God's word? Psalm 96 says this, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord and bless his name. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works amongst all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory do his name. God, we are so grateful for the time we have already had to come and do just that, to sing praise to you, to ascribe the praise and glory that you are rightfully deserving. And as we come to your word now and as we reflect upon it this day, we come with eager and expectant hearts because we know that we have not just been singing to ourselves and to the walls, We know that we have not just been going through motions, but we have been ascribing praise to you, the living God, and that you, the living God, have written a book to us, and your word is alive. Your Holy Spirit moves to apply this book to our hearts, to bring about change in our lives. This is what you delight to do for your glory amongst your people. And so today we come eagerly anticipating you doing this. We come with open hands and open hearts. Speak. We are listening. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I want you to imagine that you have the job of being an organ delivery person. Now, to my knowledge, I don't think anybody in this room has that job. Does anybody? I know there's a few that work in the medical field, but, okay, so I don't think anybody does, but, but, and I don't know if this is exactly how this even goes, because I've only ever seen this in the TV shows, right? So, but picture with me how at least the TV shows kind of convey this, where, where your job is, is the one of delivering a, a vital needed organ to somebody who is, um, who's on, on the brink of life coming to an end. I want you to imagine that, that you are working in, like, say, the hospital here in town, and, and, and someone dies for whatever reason, I, I don't know, but, but, but they, they pass away, but their, their heart is still very much young and functioning and, and healthy and thriving, and, so, and, and they're an organ donor, and so the doctors go through the process, and, and they, they safely and carefully put this heart into one of those little, in the shows, they're always the little red cooler, Right? They put it into the red cooler, and then, and then they put it into your hands because there is, there is a young woman down in Windsor who is going through major, major cardiac failure. And at any given moment, her life could come to an end because her heart has stopped working. They give this little red cooler to you and say, you need to get it to Windsor. And I don't know if you jump in an ambulance and drive down the 401 or if you get into one of those, you know, helicopters, and you get medevaced to Windsor, to the hospital. I I want you to imagine that scene. You're holding the cooler, bombing down the 401 on your way to that hospital. What's going through your head at that moment? I want you to imagine arriving at the hospital, bursting through the doors and handing that cooler over to the nurses or to the surgeon as that, as that woman is lying on the table, her chest open, anticipating this life-saving procedure that is about to happen. I want you to imagine 
that you had the chance to run into the family that was waiting outside in the waiting room. And, and they realize, or somehow it's communicated, that, that you are who you are and you just delivered what you did. And I want you to imagine the embrace of that family if they knew you were the one that's just delivered the heart that's going to save their daughter, their sister, their mother, their friend. I want you to imagine if you happen to be in the room after the surgery is over, she wakes up, everything went perfectly, and you're the one who got to deliver that heart to her, and, and the embrace of gratitude that she would have for you. The one who got to literally carry life to her. The one who got to, in a little red cooler, deliver hope. I want you to imagine what that would feel like. This morning, the text of Scripture that we are looking at, and the title of our message is Hope Carrier. Because, because the text of Scripture that we're going to look at, that we're being uh, that we're going to learn from and, and be reminded of it, is going to teach us that, that in fact, you and I, we actually are just that sort of hope carrier. We actually are just that sort of hope carrier, and even in a greater fashion than that scenario. See, we're not just carrying an organ that is going to bring new life for a few years for someone, but you and I, Carry with us as followers of Jesus a message that will save a life and a soul forever. We're in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, hope carriers, looking at verses 6 to 11. Let me read through God's word, the text we're going to be in today. So when they, that's the disciples, met together, they asked Jesus. After he's died, after he's risen to life, they're gathered together with him. They ask him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And Jesus says to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set out by his own authority, but you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And after he had said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said. Why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Here in our passage today, this morning, we are going to see four fundamental truths that we need to learn or be reminded of as hope. Carriers. Here's the first one. Here's the first one that jumps out of our text. It is this. Jesus is alive, and I need to tell someone. Jesus is alive, and I need to tell someone. After a horrible public death, 
You want to visualize this one? Think the equivalent of like the, the parking lot at Domino's, okay? Public, profound, major intersection where everybody could see and watch and go by. That's where Jesus was crucified, brutally executed on that main intersection so everybody can watch and everybody can see. He was tortured, he was killed, he died. After three days, the body vanishes. The body's missing, the tomb is empty, right? Everyone knew that he had died, everyone saw that he had died, and then the grave is empty. And on that third day, he first shows himself to Mary in the garden. He then goes on over the next coming days to show that he's alive to Peter as he's by the water's edge having breakfast. He let Thomas touch his hands and his side. Jesus was dead and now he is alive. And, and you can just imagine the, the joy and the excitement and the anticipation and, and all the thoughts and feelings that are stirring around within them as they're, they're realizing and coming to grips with he was dead and now he's alive. And it leads them to say the kind of things that I think all of us, I know I would be thinking, right? Verse 6, when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Disciples are thinking here, like, stuff like, surely, Jesus, all those people who did that horrible stuff to you, they're going to pay now, right? It's time for some justice, in the face of all that injustice that just went on, right? Surely now is the time where you're going to make everything new, new heavens, new earth, restore everything that was broken into its newness, bring the kingdom into bear, show you are not just the lamb that was slain, but the king who rules and reigns. Surely, right, Jesus? To which Jesus is like, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not God. You're not God. He says to them, it's not for you to notice the time, to know the times and the dates the Father has set before and by his own authority. In other words, just settle down. Just settle down. It's okay. I know you're excited. I know you're worked up. I know you're having all kinds of thoughts thinking ahead here. You're not God. You don't need to worry about the times and the, and the ways this is all going to figure out and tell God how to work this out by his own authority. He set a plan. But Jesus says, I do have something for you to do. I do have a task for you guys. Bethel, the living Jesus has a task for us. Verse 8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, Jesus says. Here's, here's the task that he gives to his disciples then and carries on to you and I. Jesus is alive. We need to go tell some people. You will be witnesses. We need to go tell some people that the craziest, most unimaginable thing has happened. He was dead, and now he is alive. Well, well, what, what do we tell them? If you got a Bible in front of you right now, grab a pen out or highlight this if you can. There's one word in this text right here that is so key. Circle the word witness in that verse 8. Witness. 
Well, what, what do we say? What do we do? How do we do this? What are we supposed to go out and declare? Witness. What does a witness do? A witness is somebody who shares what they have seen and heard, right? I know that's not super profound, and yet it is. What they have seen and what they have heard. If you see a car accident on the corner and a police officer comes and says, I need you to be a witness, what is he asking? What is she asking you to do? Tell what you have seen and what you have heard, right? If you're at work and there's been this ongoing, somebody's skimming money out of the till, and your boss calls you into the office and says, do you know anything? I need you to be a witness. I need you to witness. Tell me what you have seen and heard, right? What have you seen? What have you heard? Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. My witnesses. Well, I don't, I don't know what that means, Jesus. I don't know. What are, what are we talking about? And, and even for us here today, I don't feel like I've got this incredible life-saving red cooler to share. Like, what exactly is it that is so profound that I get to carry? Witness. What have you seen? What have you heard? What have you seen and what have you heard? Friend, if you have seen and heard that Jesus is alive, all you need to do is share what you have seen and heard. It is not more complicated than that. We are not being asked to be the expert witness who is able to, to go to the till and, and get out a fingerprint and be you know, some kind of CSI forensic expert. You are not being called to be you know, like a motor vehicle expert by the police officer. You're just being asked, what have you seen what have you heard? Has Jesus changed your life? If you're here today and he has changed your life, all you're being asked to do is to tell how has he done that? What, what have you personally, what have I personally seen and heard? Maybe today, maybe today, you are here and you're like, I actually haven't. And guess what I'm getting to do? I'm getting to be a witness to you to tell you that Jesus is alive, that he has changed my life, that today can be the very day before you even walk out of this room that he can change your life. You can come to know him, know that he died on the cross for you, that he rose again to forgive you of your sins, to give you eternal life. This is what we've been singing about. This is what we're looking at and learning about. The impossible happened. He was dead and he's alive. Witness. What have you seen? And what have you heard? Brothers and sisters, the first truth that we see in this passage about our invitation as hope carriers is this. Jesus is alive. He's alive, so I get to tell somebody. But, there's so many things we don't get, Jesus. I mean, can't you picture the disciples saying that sort of question? Like, like I, what about all the things in the scriptures that I still don't totally understand yet? They haven't really become clear, and it's still really confusing about all that stuff in the Old Testament and those prophecies that are kind of still confusing. What, what, what about all the people who just tried to kill you, Jesus? 
And if we go around telling people about you, like they're gonna come after us and what's gonna happen to us? What if they start asking questions that we don't know how to answer? I, how, how can I be a witness? Okay, and guess what Jesus says? You know what? I've got the answer. I'll give you some power. Look back in verse eight again. The Spirit, here's the second lesson we learn as hope carriers. The Spirit is with me, and so I have the power I need. The Spirit is with you, follower of Jesus today, brother, sister, so you have the power you need. Verse 8 says, but you will receive power. You will receive power, it says. You know, in all my years as a Christian, I can think of almost not one example of a Christian who has ever come and actually said, I don't want to share my faith with somebody. I I can't actually think of almost a single example of that happening. No, I do not want to tell other people about Jesus. But do you know what I hear more than I can even count? I'd love to tell people about Jesus, I just don't know how. I would love to be able to go and tell, fill in the blank, but I'm not a very good speaker. I would love to be able to go and tell people about Jesus and be a witness, but I don't have like a very impressive story. I would love to be able to go and tell people the good news of the gospel, but what if they ask me a question and I don't know how to answer it? I would love to be able to go and share about Christ, but I don't know how to even start a conversation. I would love to be a witness, but what if I just look totally foolish and botch this royally? Which is all different ways of basically saying, I would love to, but I just don't think I've got the power to do it, isn't it? Isn't that what all those statements are saying in different ways and forms and fashions? I I would love to be a witness, but I just don't feel like I have the power to which Jesus says, you know what, actually, you do. Actually, I'm going to give you the power. If you uh, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Brothers and sisters, the first truth that we see coming out of God's word today is that Jesus is alive. I need to tell someone. The second truth is this. The Spirit of God gives us the power we need to tell someone. The Spirit of God lives in every single one of us who is a follower of Jesus. At the moment you give your life to Jesus, the Spirit of God comes into your life. And one of the major things he does that we see right here in this passage is he empowers us to tell others about him. He helps us. He gives us the strength and the power and the direction and the guidance and the words and the boldness to be a witness, to say what we have seen and heard. Our job as followers of Jesus, is not to force a conversation. This should should be so freeing for us. Our job is not to force someone to convert. Our job is not to twist their back and wrestle them to the floor. 
Eugene Peterson, in his biography, has this hilarious story as a young boy. I don't know if any of you have ever read Eugene Peterson's biography. He was the guy who wrote the message. And uh, he tells this story, I think he was 10 or 11 years old, of his first convert. This, This little guy that was bullying him, and he finally had enough. This guy was bullying him and bullying him and bullying him until he finally snapped and he punched him right in the chin, and he fell on the ground, and then he jumped on top of him, and he recounts standing over, like, over top of him with his fist going, give your life to Jesus, and punching him and punching him until this kid finally confesses his faith. Okay, mercy, mercy, I give my life to Jesus. This is his first convert. That's not how we are to witness It is not our job to change someone else's heart. It is not our job to convict someone else of their sin. God does all of that. Our job is to share what we have seen and heard as witnesses by the power of the Holy Spirit. By the power of the Holy Spirit, which then drives us to Two questions, doesn't it? First, do you know the Spirit's voice working in your life? When he speaks and moves and leads and guides and prompts and directs, do you even recognize, brother, sister, that it's him? Second question, following up to that first one, are you doing exercises of getting into the word and prayer and listening and obeying in all kinds of little and big ways to work the muscle of recognizing his voice so that you can listen and follow as a witness? Are you spending time with him so that you're getting to know his voice and become so familiar with it that when he starts to prompt you, and it's not an audible voice, but he starts to lead and guide and direct and empower and help you, are you familiar enough with his voice that you're like, okay, I'll listen now. Are you stepping out little bit by little bit to learn to recognize his voice? Are you spending more and more time in the word to get to know him, and frankly, what he sounds like, how he speaks, how he leads, how he directs. You and I, we need to know Jesus is alive, so we need to tell someone, well, but I don't have the power. Yes, you do have the power. The Spirit of God is living within you and I. We have the power by the Spirit of God. Are we listening? And are we obeying? Here's a third truth. Jesus has a plan. And guess what? You've got a part. You can say this from your seat right now. Jesus has a plan, and I have a part in it. Verse 8, let me read it in its entirety. We've been kind of piecing it apart here. But you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In this statement here, 
Jesus is actually giving the roadmap for his plan. Sometimes this is talking about, well, it's, it's just concentric circles. Start where you are and then go out from there and out from there and out from there. And that, that's fine. And that, that's, that can be a fine strategy to go and reach people. But actually, there's something more very specific going on here in this verse. Jesus is actually giving the table of contents for how the rest of his church is going to go. He's laying at the blueprint here. He, he, he says, I've got a plan. And at the moment Jesus is with these guys, where, where are they? This text, where are they standing? Jesus and the disciples, what city are they in? They're in Jerusalem. They're in Jerusalem. They're in Jerusalem and Jesus is saying, you are going to be my witnesses first right here. Right where you are, right now, you are going to be my witnesses. And the first seven chapters of the book of Acts are all about reaching, guess where? Anybody guess? Jerusalem. The first seven chapters are all about them being a witness in Jerusalem. And then this crazy thing happens in chapter 8. A giant wave of persecution breaks out, and do you know what it says? Chapter 8, verse 1. And Saul approved of Stephen's execution, and there arose on that day a very great persecution against the church in where? Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the region of? Wait for it. What does it say? Judea and Samaria. Oh, ding, ding, ding. Part two of the plan. Now, we could spend a whole message just on this particular point. Let me give you one little fascinating caveat to think about this afternoon, okay? Jesus told them right at the very beginning, you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth. They started out in Jerusalem, but is it possible they were getting a little too cozy hanging around in Jerusalem and forgotten about the rest of the plan? To the point where God is like, oh, I've got a plan, and if you're not going to start going out of Jerusalem, guess what I'm going to do? I'm going to shake up things. I'm going to bring some persecution that you would think, man, this is terrible. Oh, but the God who does the impossible, right? Takes the very thing that would seem horrendous and turns it around to be the next step in his fulfillment of his plan. And wouldn't you know, chapters 8 through 12 are the account of the church going throughout Judea and Samaria. Chapters 8 to 12 of the book of Acts are the church being witnesses in Judea and Samaria. And then if we skip ahead a few more chapters, if you want to flip to it, you can go to Acts 13 verse 4. So being sent out by the who? Because the Holy Spirit empowers us to be a witness. They, it's talking about Saul and Barnabas here, went to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. This right here is the first time they now venture beyond Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, to the Gentiles, to the non-Jewish people. And the rest of the book of Acts, from this verse on, is the rest of the story of spreading out and fulfilling the plan of Jesus to be witnesses now to the ends of the earth. And so what do we learn from this? What Jesus is driving home is that he has a plan that started in Jerusalem. He witnesses there. 
Then it spread from there to be witnesses in Judea and Samaria. Then it spread from there to be witnesses to the ends of the earth. We have in our hands the little red cooler that brings hope, the good news that brings hope for everyone, and God had a plan to bring that from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the very ends of the earth. Jesus had a plan to help this community in 2022 that we find ourselves in on the other side of the globe. Jesus had a plan to reach this community with the good news of the gospel. Jesus had a plan for a delivery service of hope to be carried to your neighborhood. And this is mind-blowing. Do you know what his plan is? You and me. We are the plan. You and I. Disciple-making disciples. We are the plan to bring hope into this very community where God has brought us. As witnesses, Strathray, Ontario is part of the ends of the earth that needs to get the good news of the gospel. And so why do we do outreach at this church, like things like Lunch to Go, to provide practically for the needs of those who are in our community every single week with free meals and to, to have a chance to begin conversations and be a witness to them? Why, why are we running a day camp in a few weeks to reach out to dozens and dozens and dozens of young kids and then their families in this local area here with the good news of the gospel? Why are we looking ahead and planning for, for next year and to run ministries like Alpha to, to go and, and put on this course that looks at the big questions of life to explore them and point people towards Jesus? Why are we doing this sort of things? Because you and I are part of the plan to reach this community. We are, you are, I am, a hope carrier. Why do we not just simply run programs but encourage us and try and support us and spur each other on to go out from here in the conversations on our front yard with our next door neighbor? Across the water cooler at work or in the shop with the guys? Along the soccer field or, or walking your dog to try and find conversations to be a witness. Why do we do that? Because you and I are the plan. We are the plan to bring hope to this community. You are the plan to bring hope to your own family. Sometimes we think about this even like too far out on a, on a Father's Day day. You know, the starting point is, is under your very roof, whatever that looks like. Starting as a witness right there with the, the kids or the, the connections, whatever exactly your family makeup is and who is under your roof. What does it mean to be a witness even right there? We, you, I, we are the plan. This is why a number of years ago, we planted churches in Watford and Port Franks. This is why we are taking the step of faith to plant a church in Southwest Middlesex. Because there are people in the communities around us that need hope. 
the hope we've got. This is, there, there are some in this room right now that live in the community of Southwest Middlesex, and we want to support you and champion and come alongside you to be witnesses of those people that God has put right around you in your community. Side note again here. I mentioned a couple weeks ago that we had uh, hit, I think the last announcement I gave was like 43000 in our special offering. Wouldn't you know, I wasn't here last week to share this. Do, do you know after that it ended up going and, and it's now exceeded 50000 the goal? Do you know that? Like, praise the Lord. Thank you for your generosity and sacrificial investment in this. God is amazing and mind-blowing. He continues to just go far beyond all we could ask or imagine as we walk and step out in faith. And that is going to provide some incredible resources to help propel ahead, Lord willing, this church plan into Southwest Middlesex. And this is why we are doing this, because we have the hope of Jesus in our hands, the little red cooler that our world desperately needs. This is why... It doesn't just stop with us either. It needs to go beyond. I was chatting with a, a guy from our church a couple weeks ago over lunch, actually. And uh, he came to Christ a little over 10 years ago. And, and we were chit-chatting, just catching up, as we periodically do. And uh, he was thinking back to when he first came to Christ. He, he came up, grew up in a family that was not um, a church-going family, not around church, not in sort of the culture of hearing about Jesus growing up and everything like this. And then about 10 or so years ago, he came to the Lord and he started going to a church. And when he first heard the song Amazing Grace getting sung, he, he jokingly recounted with me at lunch. You know, I, I first heard that song Amazing Grace and I just turned to a bunch of people and said like, who is Grace and why is she so amazing? Except it was a sincere question. Some of us, I think, myself included, have, have been in these circles of coming to church and around this for so long that we don't realize that there are a whole ton of people that are right next to you at work or live right down the street from you that that's actually, they're like, who's Grace? And what's so amazing about her? Here. Here. And who's the plan? We are. This is why not just Strathroy, not just Southwest Middlesex, Lord willing, maybe that'll be the first and we'll see where God might have in some of these other communities around us. Who knows what God has in the store in the future? We walk by faith, but it's not even just around here in southwestern Ontario. This is why we have the joy and the privilege of partnering with brothers and sisters who are planting churches around the world. Why we pray, why we give, why we go, why we support and come alongside. Missionaries and brothers and sisters who are planting the good news of the gospel through churches in places like Nepal, and Cuba, northern Saskatchewan, the Middle East. Plug, you heard it there. Next week, we have a special guest that's going to be coming back with us, a couple that if my recollection from what some others have shared with me, we've partnered as a church with for over 20 years, and they have committed their lives to the Middle East to bring the good news of the gospel to people who desperately need the hope of the gospel there. 
You're not going to want to miss next Sunday as they come and share and encourage us. This is why we partner in all of these different ways, because the plan is, Jesus has a plan, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the very ends of the earth. And who's the plan? I am. And you are. Jesus is alive. I need to tell someone. The Spirit is with me. I have the power that I need to tell them. Jesus is a plan. And I have a part. Here's a final takeaway. Jesus is coming. So don't just stand there. Verse 9. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who was taken up, was taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Right here in front of their eyes, the glory of God breaks in, right? He was, Jesus was like levitates right in front of them, up into the sky, and they're just like, you know, they're watching him because he levitates right in front of them and he disappears up into the clouds. And then all of a sudden, these two bright white guys, I don't know if they're the same guys that were beside the, the tomb when, when the body was gone. I, and they asked this question, why are you standing here looking up into the sky? Which at first might seem like an absolutely ridiculous question. He just levitated right in front of us and went up into the sky. But, but the point isn't that they don't know what's going on, right? Like they're not asking an absurd question. He, Here's what they're saying. Jesus just gave you a mission. Why are you still standing here? Jesus is coming back. Why are you just standing here? Guess what? It's time to get moving. Jesus is coming back in the same way he just left. He is going to come back. Jesus is going to return, and in the meantime, as he just told them, just told us, he's got a mission for them and for us. Jesus is coming. Don't just stand here. Jerusalem needs to hear the good news of the gospel. Jesus is coming. Don't just stand here. Judea needs to hear the good news of the gospel. The power of the Holy Spirit is going to come and then he's going to empower you to be witnesses. Don't just stand here and wait and wait and wait and wait. You need to go because people need to hear. Jesus is coming. Don't just stand here. Samaria needs to hear the gospel. Jesus is coming. Don't just stand here. The ends of the earth need to hear that Jesus is alive. Can I put it this way? Bethel, don't just stand here. Jesus is coming. Our community needs to hear the gospel. Our neighbors need to hear the gospel. Our classmates, our coworkers, our family needs to hear the hope that we've got holded in our held in our hands. Jesus is coming back, Bethel. We can't just stand here. Southwest Middlesex. $50,000 is a fantastically generous start to this church plant. But, can I say this to us? You know a bit of money in the bank is not 
all that is needed, right? In the days ahead. You know to make this go forward that there's going to need to be people stepping out in faith. There's going to need to be prayers who partner in this. There's going to need to be people who, who sacrifice and there's going to need to be folks who rally around to support this to make it happen. We cannot sit back now and say, oh, wonderful, we cut our check, we made the $50,000 goal, now you six families go. Jesus is coming back. We can't just stand here, Bethel. Now, it's going to take on all kinds of different forms and fashions for each of our different families. I get it. But this is what is at stake. See, what we're seeing here is a sense of urgency because Jesus is coming back, because lives are at stake, because hope in Christ that you and I hold is the solution for the community around us. As I said, next Sunday, a dear brother and sister who have given their lives in partnership with us are coming to visit us. What are we going to do next week to show our love and care and support practically to them? Straight up. A couple who's given their lives and sacrificed basically everything to go to one of the hardest places in the world to plant churches... I know we cut a check every quarter, and that's wonderful, and I know we get to pray, but when we get to see them, how are you personally, not for everybody else, and even the missions team who's going to take them out for lunch after, wonderful, but what are you going to do to say, thank you, we love you, we celebrate you, we pray for you? What are you going to do next week? What are we going to do next week to love their socks off? Man, I would love nothing more than for the Schmitzes to walk away next week saying, that was the most overwhelmingly loved upon we've ever been coming back. Because we recognize, guess what? We are partnered with them as part of the plan to bring the good news of the gospel to the nations, to the ends of the earth. And so we get to step up in this, Bethel. What a joyful privilege it is to hear the stories they're going to share and to know that we get to be a part of that and support them in it. Bottom line, there's urgency here. Do you sense the urgency? As a hope carrier, the urgency from God, the lives that are at stake, we do not know, we don't know how long we have. We don't. We do not know how long, fill in the name, that is upon your heart or that God brings into your path, you don't know how long they have. Do we realize how good the good news we have is? Do you realize how lost folks that are walking in darkness are lost? If we think back to that very opening visual, I think this just drives the whole thing home so powerfully. Imagine, you stand outside the operating room, the organ donor team takes out the heart, puts it in the cooler, and then sticks it in your hand. At that moment, who's going to chit-chat in the lobby with the other nurses? Who's going to stop alongside the 401 to grab a coffee? 
Who's going to kind of meander and say, oh, we'll get there eventually? Maybe. I've got life in my hands and the clock is ticking. Beeline, all focus, all attention, all everything. Deliver the goods. Friends, that's what you hold in your hands. It's what I hold in my hands. Life. Life. The clock is ticking. Jesus is alive. So I need to tell someone. The Spirit is with me. I have the power I need. Jesus has a plan. And I have a part. Jesus is coming. Don't just 